Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's Word together. Glad to have you all along for our study of Hebrews. Uh, Michael, you asked if this is uh, later than usual. We actually, last week, moved to this time permanently. So 11.30 Eastern time is our new and uh, ongoing start time. So glad you're with us. And Rob and Bruce and Michael and Dale and William, appreciate those kind words about the song. I'll be sure to pass that along to my son. If you're listening via podcast, uh, you miss out on our opening music, which is from my son's album, but you can find it. Look up Gabe Gooden. The album is called Looking Back at Tomorrow. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. All right, so we are continuing the study of Hebrews, and we are heading toward Hebrews 6. Just when I was hoping we were moving out of controversy, <laughs> it, it looms again. But uh, we will save the, the meat of the, uh, the intensity of, of chapter 6 till next Monday. Uh, today we're going to look at uh, 5.11 leading into the, uh, the hard things there in chapter 6 because it's important to see the, the chapter 6 in its context. We so easily jump to a theological debate here when we read this, but we've got to catch the context. I was telling our NCST students um, this week just how important it is when you are studying both for your own learning, but even more so for teaching. Uh, the, the current course at NCST is study and teaching, and the idea is how do you study preparation for teaching uh, the, the word? It's so important to study big chunks, to see the context, to see the flow of arguments. Uh, except for the book of Proverbs, the Bible is not written as a bunch of isolated sentences, right? Sentences are made up of words and phrases with the, the normal grammatical structures, nouns, verbs, etc. And those sentences have sentences that come before and after them. And it's it's uh, an argument, a, a broad statement being made. So we need to see what's going on here. So chapter 5, verse 11 uh, says, Concerning him, this is concerning Melchizedek. We introduced Melchizedek yesterday, and the writer will come back to him in chapter 7. And he says, Concerning him, concerning Melchizedek, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain why? Because Melchizedek is particularly difficult? Well, there are some challenges, as we'll see, but that's not really his point, is it? It's hard to explain what we want you to know about Melchizedek since you have become dull of hearing. That is not simply a, uh, a statement of fact regarding their uh, ability to hear. That's not an auditory term. It is, it's a rebuke. Uh, the word dull there can mean sluggish. It can mean laziness. Do you ever find yourself sluggish in hearing, lazy in your hearing? Again, not, uh, not the action of sound waves hitting your eardrum, but actually thinking and hearing what you should be hearing. That's really the point. 
the Hebrews writer here is saying, you're not hearing what you should be hearing. You've gotten lazy. You've gotten weak and, and kind of slothful. I can't help but hear echoes of our Lord when he told uh, Pharisees and disciples regularly, he who has ears, let him hear. Well, presumably everyone who was listening to him talk had had ears, right? That's not what he meant. <laughs> he didn't mean everyone who has this uh, this funny thing that sticks out of the side of your head, let him let him hear. No, he means those who have been given supernatural ability by the spirit of God to understand, to comprehend the things of God, let him hear the truth. I think there, there's sort of echoes of that for me as I read this, the, the writer saying, you've become dull of hearing, you've become lazy. He's convinced these people, generally speaking, have been given ears to hear, but they've gotten lazy with it. And so he gives them a rebuke and, and he goes on, even stronger rebuke. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You have been Christians long enough. You should be teaching others. But instead, you're going back to elementary school. You have need again for someone, meaning me, the, the author, to teach you the ABCs of the oracles of God. So we don't know exactly when Hebrews was written, but we've put a few pieces together. Uh, if you remember in chapter two, he said, you all learned the gospel from those who had received it firsthand. So most scholars put Hebrews as a second generation kind of uh, uh, or a late first generation kind of letter and, and say maybe early to mid 60s. So we don't know for sure, but let's just say it's something like that. It may be that many of these people have been Christians now for 10, 20, almost 30 years. You ought to be able to teach others the rudiments, the basics of Christianity but you need to be reminded of those things yourselves. You need someone else to teach you these elementary principles, the ABCs. You've come to need milk and not solid food. Another harsh rebuke here. You're, you're not a grown-up. You can't eat meat. You can't have a steak and potatoes. You need a baby bottle. You need to, I mean, this is a rather uh, grotesque image. Your, your bodies are big like grownups, but you really need to go back to your mother's breast. That's a pretty harsh rebuke. You're, you're babies again. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to, to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Well, what is the word of righteousness? It's got to be the gospel, right? 
It's the word that shows us how to truly be righteous. These were Jewish converts, and they knew the old covenant system with the sacrifices, the priesthood, all of that, the temple worship. But if, you were, if they were really grasping and holding on to the word of righteousness, they would understand those things could not bring righteousness. It's the gospel that brings righteousness. If you're only drinking the milk, if you're only the baby, you're an infant, you don't understand this word of righteousness. You, you're unskillful in it is, is the word. But solid food, meat, is for the mature. All right, so this word mature is a form of the word telos. Some of you have been with me long enough now to know whenever we encounter the Greek word telos or something from the family of words, I'm going to ask you, what does it mean? So somebody tell me, somebody in the chat here, tell me, what, what is telos in Greek? What's, the, what's that family of words getting at? Because when we think maturity, we may think different things, and it makes sense contrasting an infant to a grown-up, you think maturity, but there's a, there's a certain nuance, there's a certain emphasis of this word telos. Anybody remember? And I realize there's a little bit of a delay here, so I will stall and, uh, and see what uh, someone's asking. Uh, someone's asking a question here. Oh, trivia question. Okay. <laughs> yes, Rob got it. End goal. Telos is the end goal. Yeah, very good, William. Okay. Uh, the, 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 the destination that you're trying to achieve. So that's this. He says solid food is for those who are reaching or have reached the intended goal. And notice how he describes them, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Think about that. What good and evil has the writer of Hebrews been concerned about through this whole letter? The good is holding fast to the gospel and not going back to the old covenant ways. And the evil is drifting away from Christ to go back to the inferior things like Moses and Aaron and the teaching of angels, that kind of thing. He says, if your senses have been trained to discern, if your mind is working, your, your spiritual mind, uh, if you will, if, if you're hearing rightly and growing up in the faith, you will discern the good from evil. If you go back to those old covenant ways, you're showing you're an infant, you can't handle meat, and you don't know how to discern good from evil. Then he says, therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Messiah, let us press on to, there's that word again, maturity, let us press on to the goal, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Notice the things he is putting in the category of the ABCs 
of Christ. The rudiments, the elements, middle C for you musicians. These are the things that they ought to be teaching others by now that are just the basics. Repentance from dead works. What do you think the dead works are that the writer of Hebrews is concerned about? Whatever they are, they're on the list of the ABCs here. Faith toward God. Instruction about washings and laying on of hands. Uh, the washings would no doubt be the ceremonial cleansings and that kind of thing. The laying on of hands, probably something to do with that as well. Resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. These are the ABCs. He says we need to grow, grow up and get beyond those. Now there's a sense in which we all talk about, you know, needing to preach the gospel to ourselves again and again, and Christians need to constantly be reminded of the gospel. And, and, and there's truth to that, of course, right? We, we, we understand the basics of addition, subtraction, uh, division, and multiplication. Those are the, the ABCs of, uh, of mathematics, of arithmetic. And, you know, if you study calculus and get onto deeper mathematic things, you, you can't ever forget that two plus two equals four, right? And sometimes it's good to be reminded, to simplify, to get back to basics. But we want to advance beyond those. So if all we ever do is sit in elementary school, then we never get to higher learning. These things he's describing as the elements, the basics, and we've got to go back and, and talk about them again with you Hebrews because you haven't grown up. And remember, he wants to tell them about Melchizedek. The richness and the importance of Christ being of the order of Melchizedek rather than of the priestly order of Levi and Aaron, the high priest, learning about how God has brought this all about and planned this from the very beginning and set the foundation for Jesus' priesthood in the order of Melchizedek. Those are grown-up things in Christ. But these people are not ready for that because they don't have this repentance from dead works and faith toward God right. At least they're wavering on it. By the way, in answer to my own question, I think the repentance from dead works would be probably the works of the law. The works that kill you because the law condemns. So he says we need to press on from these to the, to the goal. And look what he says here. And this we will do. If God permits. What does he mean by that in this context? Have we seen anything in Hebrews thus far where God did not permit something? Anybody? The writer here says, we will press on to the goal and we will leave behind these ABCs of the Messiah and press on to the goal and, and the, the, the deeper things, if you will, if God allows it, if God permits. 
What if he doesn't permit? Yeah, oink, oink, got it. Remember, he used Israel as an illustration of people who had come out of slavery to Egypt, but they weren't allowed to enter the promised land because of unbelief. If these people that the writer of Hebrews is addressing, if they let go of their confession of hope in the gospel, in Christ, then of course they're not going to grow up to maturity. God may shut them down as well, just like he did the Israelites in the wilderness. So he, he is continually going back and forth between encouragement and explanation of the superiority of Christ and the warning. We will do this. We will press on if God permits, if he allows you to move on. How many different ways can he say it? He's trying to get their attention. He's got to. Now, I want to look at one more thing, setting up the context for this discussion next week. After he gives his warning and the, the falling away parts and so on, he says, verse 7, For ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it, and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. So ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it. What do you think that is? These people have received the truth. They know the gospel. They know it in its completion, in its, in its fullness. So think of the imagery here. You're this ground and you, you drink the rain. The message of Christ, the glories of Christ, full atonement and so on. And you bring forth vegetation, useful you bear fruit. The ones who do that receive a blessing. But if that ground that receives this rain yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless and close to being cursed and ends up being burned. See what he's doing there? Again, the warning. All that you have received you have to bear fruit. And first and foremost, that fruit is holding fast to your confession of hope in the gospel and not going back to dead works, not going back to the law and sacrifices and temple worship and ironic priesthood and all of that. Yeah, I see Dale has already, uh, has already anticipated the question I was going to ask you. What does this sound like? It sounds exactly like Jesus' parable of the sower and the seed, right? Some of the seed, the, the sower went out and he threw his seed out and some of it was snatched up by the devil. That's not this group. Some of it fell on the rocky soil and it sprang up and showed some, some life, but then 
melted away in the sun. The other grew up among the thorns and thistles and was choked out by the, uh, the worries of life. The good soil bore fruit. The seed fell on the good soil and upsprang wheat, something profitable for the sower. There's certainly hints of that in this description, it seems to me. So what's he doing here? He's telling these people, you are the ground that has received the rain. What are you going to do with it? Bear fruit. Hold fast. Don't let go of the gospel. Grow up. Reach maturity. Reach the intended goal. Don't be lazy hearers. Be very active, productive hearers in the gospel, in Christ. You should be teaching others. The, what he's saying is you people should be teaching other Jews that there's no hope in the old covenant law and system. That was all pointing to Christ. These people should be, point, should be driving others to Christ. Instead, they're full-grown bodies, but they need baby bottles and a rehearsal of the ABCs. It's a pretty, it's a pretty strong and, and graphic warning, if you ask me. Um, not insulting, but it's 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 pointed for sure. All right, let me catch a couple of your comments, and then uh, and then we'll call it a day. Um, seems like there's something going on here about systematic theology. Uh, so looks like Dale's on that. Uh, Sherry says, "I'm thinking it's like in Isaiah 55, as the rain comes down and waters the earth." then stuff grows, we should grow to maturity and not stay where we are. Absolutely. We should all be doing that all the time. Uh, here, he's particularly concerned that these people are at the very core of Christianity. They're not bearing fruit, meaning holding fast to the gospel. Uh, we should grow to maturity if receive the truth. If you're not growing, there is a problem. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Rob says, the deadness of living by the law. I don't know when you made that comment. I think so. <laughs> I, think, I think we're in agreement there. Oink Oink says, can good soil bear fruit and then get choked out and die? Um, uh, let me see what Rob said. I think that in one interpretation is good and the one that does bear, it seems it is impossible for good not to yield. Yeah, so... I wasn't going to go here today. That's a good question. But it can, if we're not careful, get in the way of what the author is trying to do here. If we jump to a theoretical question like that, we are going to be in danger of robbing this text of its urgency. You, you know what I mean? The writer of Hebrews here is not making an abstract theological statement about whether or not good soil can grow seeds that are choked out. This is not an abstraction for him. This is not a, a theological theoretical question. He is concerned that these people are flirting with walking away from the gospel. 
not in the sense of outright rejecting it, not saying I don't believe any of that anymore, but he calls it in chapter two, drifting away. And being seduced back to the old covenant ways. If he didn't think these people could do that, why would he even write the letter? So I understand your question. And at some level it's worth asking, but when you're talking to someone who from all appearances believes the truth, and then they're flirting with drifting away from it, that's not the time to have a theoretical, theological discussion. That's the time to warn them of the consequences if they do so. Rob says, I was thinking of the whole idea of the Jews going back to what would be uh, put to end. Yeah, in which case they'll find themselves with no sacrifice. That's what he's going to go on to say. All right, let me look at Cherry and then I'll wrap it up. The only good fruit is the one that finishes anything else is lost. We grow fruit, trees, it doesn't matter. Right. Um, you can call that an apple tree, but it's a useless apple tree if it doesn't, uh, if it doesn't grow fruit, right? That's what an apple tree is for. Good stuff. All right, folks, uh, gentlemen, come back tomorrow. Tomorrow's Friday. Friday's with the fellas. We're going to continue our talk of manhood. And for the rest of you, we will see you, Lord willing, on Monday to continue with Hebrews and get into more of chapter six. Take care.